Hello and welcome to episode number 43 of the YouTube podcast. Talking all things YouTube, new album news, new tour news that then gets deleted right away before we can even talk about it, and community discussions from the staff about U2. This is our Aksung Baby episode, so welcome to it. I've got some uh, very Aksung-y type folks with me today. Uh, Mr. Matt McGee, welcome back. Aksung Baby, I can't even say the bloody word. <laughs> and, uh, Hi Chris, how are I, you? I'm good. This is, this is the first time we've talked since... Cleveland. Cleveland, right? Yeah. It is. Since we actually met met in the flesh. In the, the flesh meet, for the meet first space, time. As they and say. did a podcast in front of a live audience. Yeah. That feels like a, a lifetime ago already. It does, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> All right. And Sherry, you're back as well. You made it home from Cleveland, I trust. <laughs> yeah, I moved in mysterious ways, Chris. <laughs> there you go. That's going to be a new prerequisite Ooh. that when you get introduced, you have to include some sort of uh, U2E pun or cliche or quote or whatever. So, so Tasula, you you were subbed in in the ninth inning with two outs. Uh, I'm a pinch hitter tonight. Yep. <laughs> two yeah. folks went down before you, um, and you're you're subbing in very graciously at the last minute. So, thank you for doing that, and welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. Oh, that's not a YouTube reference that I know of, is it? <laughs> I thought you were just talking about that was a rule for Sherry. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, that's a rule for all of us. Yeah, oh. all of us going Well, forward. then I guess I'm even better than the real thing. <laughs> oh, sweet. <laughs> well done. All Mic right. drop, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Over. Kasula wins. All right, so <laughs> we've, we may be a little rusty tonight because we actually haven't uh, recorded an episode in a little while, or I haven't anyways, and things such as time zones and things like that get me confused easily, apparently. So, But uh, we record this show, in case you're not aware, we record it live, often on Wednesday nights, sometimes on Thursday afternoons, and in this case, Thursday evenings. So you can listen good, live at goodstuff.fm slash live if we happen to be there. There's a chat room. We've got some folks such as Fabiano, who came all the way from Brazil to the uh, U240 weekend in Cleveland. So hello to him. And others in the chat room. And uh, before we get into our what we're calling the roundtable of discussing the album, we just had a couple of listeners sort of follow up questions, which you can send in at hashtag at ask at you too. That shows how rusty I am. Um, at Telejects, who friend of the show Christopher Schmidt asked, uh, any reason I'm why I'm thinking Game of Thrones concert stage is eerily similar to U 2s current stage setup? I hadn't actually seen this. Had you guys seen the? Is it just because Adam's topless and most of the people in Game of Thrones is topless? <laughs> and or bottomless, I guess, is the case maybe. <laughs> uh, no, the, um, I won't play it right now, but if you actually, they have a preview of what the concert experience is going to look like, I think. I don't think it's actually happened yet, but it's actually got a basically like the, the big wall of the screen that separates the audience. And it looks like it'd be really cool. The orchestra is sort of on one side of the, the screen and, and another bit of the orchestra is on the other side. And the screen kind of stuff comes down over top of the orchestra for a while and videos projected over top of them and stuff like that. It looks like it's probably inspired by or maybe made directly by <laughs> um, <laughs> the same folks who did U2's thing. So uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, of course, to that if you're not familiar. Have you guys seen this at all? No, I had not seen it until the tweet, and uh, since I've never seen Game of Thrones myself, it was not something I was looking for. So, I'll. Uh, but no, I agree with what you just said. It does look very similar. It's kind of crazy how. Yeah. How yeah. similar it looks. You're you really, as Christopher says. So. Yes. Thanks for pointing this out, and let let us know if you happen to get to that. I don't know. I haven't looked into details of when and where, but uh, if you happen to go, how similar the concert venue happens to be. All right. Well, the rest of the the uh, ask at you too 
comments and stuff sort of indirectly or directly relate to Actung Baby. Um, at Al- <laughs> I know this is actually Alan, but I feel like butchering his Twitter handle. Anyways, Alice <laughs> 01 said, did anyone else find the promotional Trabbies when Actung Baby was released? Here I am with one. Uh, and also he, uh, which again, we'll put a link to his photo, which is a very cool picture of him sitting on top of a parking meter. It looks like underneath a Trabby somewhere in London. And then there's also, he entered a 500 postcards in a radio competition to win Zoo TV, uh, Zoo TV gig tickets, which he said he didn't win tickets, but he got his pictures in propaganda. So, um, who's the, uh, what were you guys doing when Actung Baby was released and were you, were you entering contests or in Zoo TV gig tickets? Crickets. I was in high school, so my parents wouldn't let me go and it's still a really, really sore subject. <laughs> So I couldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have entered a competition because they wouldn't have let me go. So. <laughs> How Did you see anybody, Matt or, or Sherry, who are maybe a little older vintage? <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I, hey, wait a second. What, a polite word for that. What did yeah. you just say? <laughs> yeah, we're the babies, Chris. That's I remember the- hearing about this contest, but um, when Octung Baby was released, I was living in a remote part of Eastern California (laughs) in a town, the population of about 3,000. So no, they would not have put any Trabbies anywhere within probably a 55-hour drive of me. (laughs) So no, I I did not find any of those. I think that was actually just a UK thing, but I'm not positive. Oh, I was going to say, is there a map somewhere of where they were? Oh. Somebody catalog that? I'm sure there's some fan out there that catalogs. Someone, pro- yeah, someone probably. Yeah, I think it was a UK early. thing. The, the contest, though. Yeah, if Aaron and was I, here, then I really wouldn't have been able to participate. No. <laughs> if Aaron was here and awake, he probably would be able to report on having seen one or driven one. He probably one. had one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, um, and uh, at Charoff asked, "Have any of you bought the $500 Uber Deluxe Edition of Actung Baby, and did you enjoy it?" Which you paid 500 bucks for Actung Baby. I would hope you would enjoy it, but is that what is that actually? I, I, I'm not familiar with the uh, Uber Deluxe edition of Actung Baby. That's the one that like picks you up in a car. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it better for $500. Oh, I got the, I got the next one down. I got the the $200 version of the right. The These bucket. are the reissues, right? Of the when when from the sky down. The, Right. The anniversary or what? Uh, isn't yeah. it an anniversary? Yeah. Right. I don't know. It looks like mine is the size of a vinyl album, but it's a huge box with a bunch of goodies in it. And would you say you enjoyed it? Is is uh, I enjoyed it. I I didn't pay five. It's not the ultimate. Right. One. It's the one step down from it. And but I don't. That's the same one I have. I don't remember what the difference is. It was in a. It says a magnetic tile puzzle tiled box that contained. Well, there you I th- go. I don't and have I think, magnets. I, and I think yeah, and I think it contained like fly shades and all sorts of other stuff like that. Yeah, five hundred dollar version. So that's, yeah, that's insane. I can't pay more than I would pay for like a concert trip <laughs> for an edition of an album, even if I love it. Yeah, and there's a there is a video that they put together. I, I would hope they would do that at least a promotion promotional video for that that box set. So um, if anybody has one and wants to give it to us, we'll we can. You can send us one so we can review it <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't imagine at this point you're wanting to part with it. So, But we'd love to hear if you did buy it because uh, that'd be really cool. Ask at you too. Hashtag ask at you too on Twitter and let us know. 
All right. Well, let's get into, uh, before we spend hours uh, pre, pre-roundtable, I guess, let's just jump right into this because I know there's going to be a few words spoken uh, in appreciation of, of Actung Baby. So uh, if you're not familiar with what we've been doing, just in brief, we've been going album by album through the um, throughout U2's discography and starting with back on episode number 34 uh, with Boys. You can go back to goodstuff.fm slash ATU2 slash 34 and hear the start of this series that we've been doing and uh we're all the way up to actung baby which uh feels like it's taken a while to get i know this one has been a, with a fair amount of anticipation from the at youtube crew and uh but uh, i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> i've been it's not like none of us have a special website de- dedicated yeah. just to the oh album. that's right Oh, oh, I yes. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know who who at this roundtable would oh, yeah. even possibly guilty as guilty like as that. charged. <laughs> That's actually the site I'm on right now with the reissue. And for, I was just for some reason I just assumed I was on YouTube.com actually, but it's actually the site I can't see got naked pictures and and our security on, on our internet won't let me view them. <laughs> what kind of site are you running, Matt? Exactly. I'm going to have to check that out. I hadn't been there yet, but I will. It's all Adam's fault. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you've got a special section just for the album cover controversy, which, uh, well, let's just jump right into that since we're talking about that. Um, I don't want to jump into that. He's a, <laughs> he's a married guy, Chris. Come on. We all know there's a fair amount of Adam fans out there, and they have their special place on the internet <laughs> where they go to talk about the special cover of Octung Baby. So what's the story here, Matt, for anybody who's not aware? The story specifically on the album cover? Yeah, we'll just jump on, get that one out of the way. Okay. Yeah. This, well, the story is that they, I mean, I think Adam's quote, I'm not on the right page of the website, but his quote was something along the lines of, if there was ever a time to uh, sort of push that boundary, um, this was the album to do it on. And so they, uh, as part of the promotional photo shoots and all that sort of stuff, Adam decided to uh, drop his drawers and take all his clothes off and Anton shot the photos and they put it on the... Well, it's on the back of the vinyl, and it's on—is it on like the inner sleeve of the CD or something? I, I don't—I don't remember exactly the differences between the various versions and all the sort of stuff. But anyway, it caused, as you can imagine, all sorts of um, all sorts of uh, consternation in certain quarters, and there were threats from. Uh, retail chains that they weren't going to sell the album they weren't going to put it on you know the big displays that the record company was expecting to help promote it and all this sort of stuff so at sort of the last minute then uh, uh the record company had to uh they put a big black x over the photo in some versions they put a green shamrock over his manhood in some versions <laughs> Why do I have to answer this? <laughs> I was like, you've got a lot of detail on this, Matt. Others put a googly eye on it so that the kids wouldn't see it. <laughs> Mine has the shamrock. I wonder if the, the symbols were uh, country-specific or continent-specific. or I wonder The shamrock what the was, was Ireland-specific. That, that well, I how did I get an Irish one in Portland, Oregon in 1991? <laughs> that, sure. doesn't make any, that doesn't make any sense. I would have gotten it a tower across the street, but I don't Could know. Could have been an import. import? Yeah, tower. Now, now I have to go look at it, but I can't get away from my microphone. Oh, that's a good excuse to go look at Adam, uh-huh. <laughs> He's not my, you know me, I'm a Larry girl. But anyway, I digress. 
Okay, so after for all these years, I always assumed that the what they actually did was this was the album cover. But this, what you're saying is that it wasn't actually the cover; it was just one picture on the album. It's the cover of my album. Oh, it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was. Well, there's lots of pictures on the on the album cover, and, well, and I know it's the, one of many. Right, but the the nude one was just one of those on the Acton Baby, as as we see it now, the Acton Baby CD. It's not like they shipped a version of it with just that photo as the cover is what I'm wondering. No, no, oh, no, okay. no. Correct. Correct. Okay. That's a, it's always a collage. But yeah. But that was floating around as a cover unto itself, but then the mosaic thing happened. Oh, right. see that? No, I didn't know that. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. And, and I just checked and it's the photo in question is not on the front or back of the CD itself. It's on the little booklet that's inside the CD. Right. So, but if you're pulling out the 12 inch, it's right there. Oh, Oh my God. Had to go there. (laughs) That will not not be the title of this. Don't you dare put that as a title. (laughs) What I tend to favor is sandalwood. (laughs) Thank you, Adam, for segueing us out of that conversation. It's still about wood. <laughs> oh, scary. Okay. All right. We have officially lost. Uh, sorry. Continue to talk amongst yourselves for a moment. I have to collect myself. That's a real Zoo TV moment. <laughs> yes, All it right. is. Here. While Sherry collects herself, uh, why don't we... <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we move into the uh, <laughs> the uh, well? Actually, a bit about the. the it's funny in, our, in my show notes for the, for this album by album series. I've all, I've had one one thing of like, okay, for each album we need to sort of come up with you know some stuff about where it was recorded and and then any, any interesting stories, i.e., like Actung's story of the band finding their way to one, which is like sort of been my cliche story to use as an example for all the other albums, which we'd never really have any super, I mean, there's a story of obviously lyrics being stolen and stuff, but there hasn't been any sort of, we, we rarely have had sort of the behind the scenes look into an album being made like we had with right. Act Tongue Baby. And so it's kind I of. I think you bring up a good point because this is the only album where we have, you know, Bill Flanagan's book that tells us almost everything that was happening right before and during and after yeah. That period of time. We have Flanagan's book and the From the Sky Down documentary a few years ago. I mean, yeah, this is yeah. the this is the album that you know has so much has been devoted to and sort of you know revealing the, the what went into it. Yeah, yeah, it seems I to have love, a lot of the I mythology. Know that they've, yeah, <laughs> I know that they filmed uh, the making of the Unforgettable Fire, and then that resulted in a documentary. Um, Rattle and Hum was more about the tour, but I think this album was was. Um, one of the ones where they recorded everything and then and then spliced and diced and and did whatever um throughout the process because there's there's so much documented about the recording of this particular album that I kind of feel like there's not really a lot for us to say because it's so available you've got mm-hmm. the video you've got the books you've it's been spoken about. Because this is, you know, one of those albums that everybody knows about. If you're going to say you too, they're going to point to either Joshua Tree or Octung Baby. Yeah. yeah. So maybe by that. reference and, and rather than repeating all the the stuff that's out there, pointing folks to some of the good material that it is out there, like you two at the end of the world by Bill Flanagan, like we were saying, 
uh, From the Sky Down, if you haven't seen it, is very good as well. Um, I'd recommend personally going to, with the book first and the, the video because it kind of allows you to sort of picture in your own mind what's going on exactly at the time. Um, anything else? Yeah, that- yeah the, the documentaries on um, the best of oh, 1990 yeah. to 2000 that have a lot of the commentary with the directors of those videos. I, personally, I think Octing Baby... Um, has the best videos of YouTube's mm-hmm. career. That's one thing. Yeah. That's where I would rate it number one. It definitely has the best videos. And there's a lot of great stories that are told. Like they did three versions of one, for example. So they have a whole documentary just on one. So if you haven't dove into that as a fan, you should. And, and we did fi- – uh, this might be what you were just about to say, Sherry. But we did uh, five years ago, we did a whole series of special interviews and articles on At You Too. Yeah. Um, it, celebrating the 20th anniversary of the album, and you know, Sherry interviewed Richie Smith or Smythe, who was the director of The Fly, and that's like a three-part thing. And we have exclusive photos that he had never shared anywhere else. And mm-hmm. and, there, and I think I got to do a like an email interview with Willie Williams. We just had all kinds of yep. stuff. Like so, you know, I guess we'll just Chris put those in the show notes or whatever. And that's I think that that was a really good resource. Um, as well, because there was some really, I was really proud of what we did with that 20th anniversary. Yeah, yeah definitely. We'll put, definitely, I have all those links for you to peruse and read as you listen again to the album. Um, and but going, going back to, to the Octung story of the band finding their way to one, it's basically God walked into the room. <laughs> Case closed. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's true. That's, uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And that's where it is kind of like, for whatever reason, um, lots of reasons, but the, this album and this recording and everything around it, sort of surrounding it, seems to have the most mythology that we have available, which I sometimes wonder if sort of inversely or ad- adversely or someversely <laughs> affects how popular the album is with U2 fans, because we have so much history and depth to this, just the recording process, never mind how good the songs are, but we'll get into that in a moment. So... um any other comments, I guess, on reception of the album and, and things as it came out? This is, uh, like I've alluded to on pretty much every other recording, Actung is when I got into U2 and was my big introduction when I kind of fell into the, in love with the band. And and, um, and again, I think a combination of the music and the videos and everything, the whole package kind of thing is what sort of sucked me into this, this band that up to that point had been kind of this weird thing that my friends were into. Um but where were say Matt for you? Where did you come at Actung uh, when it was released? I like I said, I was living in a tiny town in California. Um, this was I, I didn't have access to good radio. I didn't have access to I don't think no. We had MTV on the cable, um, but I remember learning about Octung Baby. I mean, that was those were the days where you know, if for me at least, if the LA Times didn't you know, didn't publish something uh, about U2, or if it didn't show up in Rolling Stone, I think I had a subscription to that. Um, that was the only way that I heard about things. So I, I I vaguely knew that this album was coming, but I certainly didn't know what to expect in terms of, you know, sound or look or all the changes that were involved. It was so, for me, it was a very, uh, you know, in which, I you know, we can talk about more when we actually get to the song by song. It was just, you know, a very stunning and kind of you know beat me over the head the whole the whole thing the whole you know the look and everything how about you Tula? yeah i was i was in high school as i mentioned before um and i was i worked on the school paper i was getting ready to become the editor of the paper the following year so i was kind of training for that and i had a friend on my staff that was a, a big youtube fan as well and i remember she 
was just all over this. And this to her was the best thing they'd ever done. To me, I loved it, but it wasn't, it didn't sound like my U2. So it took me a little while to warm up to it. I did obviously warm up to it and we would listen to it all the time, but I was still playing war every day, my cassette of war in the car on the way to school, <laughs> like in protest, like the old, the, like I was hardcore, you know, right. <laughs> before you two. I was out. a purist. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Sherry? I was a freshman in college at the University of Connecticut, and I remember seeing um, the preview videos of um, of the fly um, on MTV with just the spinning uh, chandelier in Hansa and everything spinning, and it was like a 30-second clip or like a 15-second <clears throat> clip, um, and I got so excited I know that The Fly came out before the album did and Mysterious Ways was the second single and that came out about the time of the album. And I just remember I had a, a, a music history exam at Jorgensen Auditorium at 10 a.m. The campus record store opened up at 9.30 at the other end of campus and I've never ran so fast in my <laughs> life. But I was at the <laughs> campus record store. I bought the cassette because I only had my little Sony Walkman at the time. But I knew I would be going back to get every version of the CD possible, the um, Eco Pack, the Jewel Case, the whole <laughs> damn thing. And I'm listening to the whole album as fast as I can on my cassette. So I'm running to take the um, exam. And it kind of messed with my head because the exam – you had to listen to 30 second clips of classical music and then and then state which composer it was or what the name of it was and the only damn song i could remember was Ina Kleina Nachtmusik because i'm listening to Octung Baby you know, oh my god german thing going on in my head that's all i can remember because i've i've got i've got until the end of the world streaming in, in my cerebral cortex when i'm i should be listening to claire de lune you know so um it going back to the last podcast i did have a musical journey on the day of the <laughs> release um but uh, yeah, it it was just one of those uh, moments that is frozen in the back of my head, and it will never leave. Yeah, I think that's it's that's the thing for me with this album is it, it takes me right back to where I was when I heard it, and whereas a lot of the other albums don't have that like time and place sort of uh, memory, the smell even of my friend's basement where we hung out and listened to music and played pool and stuff. Um, in the same way that Actung Baby does. And so, um, yeah, for me, it's, it's just, it's the best album that they've ever put out because of a whole bunch of things, I think. And so, um, but yeah, let's not delay any further, uh, except I will delay one moment because <laughs> I realized at Bruner Caffey mentioned, uh, and this is a, one thing I would agree with too, is it, Actung Baby is also in addition to the best music videos. I think it had some of the best B sides, um, and sort of single, and all that kind of stuff and the packaging that went with them that kind of like all lined up and made uh, this cool artwork and stuff and all that kind of stuff. Um, he had mentioned uh, via Twitter, Lady with a Spinning Head is the best B-side because there are about five different Actung Baby songs in it, which is very true, um, which again goes back to the mythology of and how we've learned so much about how the album was made and just the process that you two goes through in a, as far as actually like sort of piecing songs together and not being afraid to pull a you know, intro riff from this song and put it as the bridge for this other song and, and vice versa. So, and going and, back to that, that topic before the album came out, we did have, if you were in, 
in the collector's market or the um, trader's market, when the album work was stolen and all that stuff was circulating, it it was interesting to hear the finished product to to see, well, well, that little piece went into that song and that little piece went into that one. It was the first time you really had that opportunity to um, analyze that artistic process, even though it, it was highly controversial to, to actually own the outtakes because nobody should have owned the outtakes except for the band. Um, but, but I have to agree with him about Lady with the Spinning Head as well as Blow Your House Down. Both of those... Uh, became deconstructed um and and put elsewhere into the album yeah there's that's what i was just going to bring up too like if you it's not only that we that we have documentaries and books and all this you know interviews and articles about it i mean like there's almost no end to how far you could dive into this album if you want because there's as sherry was just talking about salome the outtake cds which i think you know three or five cd set or something like that (laughs) and Fascinating. I used to just put the, that on, and I would just listen and just, just like get myself lost in these CDs. That you know, a lot of it was repetitive, but I just found it fascinating because I would. I've always wanted to just like be a fly on the wall when they record, just to see how these bummed. songs get created. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. thank you for catching that. <laughs> um, but then also, and and then w- w- along those same lines, when they did the the anniversary release of. A few years ago, they put out the baby version of the album, which I think has some great early versions of the song. I think the, I think the the baby version of "Until the End of the World" is as good as the final version. I love that, and so yeah, I mean, you could just keep listening and 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 just diving into this album. Yeah. So if uh, you two is out there, and uh, I hear podcasting is a big deal, uh, if they need some flies on the wall and then produce a <laughs> podcast series, yep. uh, yeah. I've got nothing up for the next couple of months. So <laughs> let's get in touch. <laughs> He'll figure out the time zone. We'll figure it out. Yeah, figure out the time zone for you too. Bono's in his own time zone yeah, altogether. That's true. Exactly. He's always late for everything, so it's not a problem. Right? Larry's going to be on Skype just kind of tapping his fingers. <laughs> where, where, where is that Chris? <laughs> I have to get... <laughs> I love Matt's uh, Irish accent. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Is that what it's it so is? spot on. Yeah. You know? that, was my, that was my angry Larry accent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I hadn't scheduled the podcast for right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into the uh, the song by song. So, um, uh, what was I going to say? We haven't even done the song by song stuff yet. Wow. <laughs> and you wonder how we end up with ninety minute podcasts. Yeah, Matt. exactly. <laughs> I was, I bought the album and I put the CD on, got back to our little apartment in Bishop, California, and I put the CD on. And I know it's cliche, everybody says this, but it is so (laughs) absolutely true. I put the CD on, started playing it, and literally 15 seconds into Zoo Station, I thought, what the hell is wrong with my speakers? Right. And I just kept like, what is wrong? No. And so I stopped the CD and I kind of, blow, you know, you turn the CD over and you blow on it thinking that there's dust on the bottom. Right. Like we've all done that, haven't we? Like an old video game. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. The little Atari cartridge, you blow on it to get the dust. 
And that's what I did with the CD. And I put it back in, and I was like, God, no, it still sounds awful. What is this? And then finally, I don't know, it like took three or four plays, and I'm like, that's what this song is supposed to sound like? <laughs> and, and it just, yeah, it just blew me away. And and I love uh, Marilyn, uh, at Miss Marilyn, who is our staffer, Marilyn, my own, just, just said on Twitter within the last half hour, first time hearing the opening riff of Zoo Station. Well, that, that's exactly what I was expecting. Said no YouTube fan ever. <laughs> it's so true. And uh, and I just, I don't know, I've just come to love this song because of what a change it was. I love the lyrics. I love Adam's bass line. I love the way it was presented on the Zoo TV tour. I just, I love everything about this song. It's appearance in About a Boy. It's a fantastic About a Boy scene. Yes. Oh, I forgot about that. Brilliant totally forgot use about of it. Brilliant use of it in film. Yeah. The best part of, of that song kicking off Octung Baby was for the decade of the 80s. They were putting their heart on their sleeve they were, you know, fighting the good fight. Not that they weren't fighting the good fight in the 90s and, and, and further on. But the first sound you hear of this new album in this new decade is distortion. And, yeah, and thinking through about what are they trying to do. They're, they're distorting their reality. Look at their image. They're all about image now. They're holding up a mirror to to the world of media, you know, with, with the whole fly video, which we'll get, get to later, but it, it, it's this distorted reality and they're trying to shake things up in such a way that, that you really have to think for this album and that first note and, and everything about it. That's the, that's the best thing about this album is that distortion. Yeah, and it's not even just distortion because they had distortion on other other songs, just like from a guitar standpoint. But just like the, I, forget, I think it was, um, I was going to say Bill Flanagan at, at Cleveland, but um, uh, Dave Fanning, Dave, Dave Fanning, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, saying how he, I think it was the song he was referring to, Razor Station, is you know he was like so so just uh, EQ'd and affected and whatever all all those things, and he wishes it was even more mashed up. And it's just like yeah, just kind of like. Like Matt was saying, and when you hear it, it just sounds wrecked almost. And um, yeah, it's it's yeah, just the love. I love that. Every anytime I turn it on, and and you just hear that opening riff, and and it's just a fun like. I, it feels like uh, again on the guitar side, it feels like a a riff that for the edge to have come up with and played was almost be liberating compared to everything else that he would have been doing around that time with all the jingle jangly, echoey stuff. Yeah, um, it's just like a almost the F middle finger of the guitar player saying, I'm not doing that anymore kind of thing. And, yeah. and I mean, he totally does. It's just, you know, in a different style, but, um, and, but it was also the vocals. The vocals were all distorted too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Yeah. The whole, as at you two war 40 said, as comments that I know the band has said that the fly was the sound of them chopping down Joshua tree, but no song does that better than zoo station, which I think is, is very apt because it's, it does have that almost, that's, that's sound. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, Edge's guitar. I mean, it sounds like a saw cutting yeah. something. Yeah, I mean, it really does. It's yeah. yeah. All right, so let's keep moving on. Uh, that's the right one. This is one I didn't know what to make of. Uh, 
uh, that when I heard it on the album, and it wasn't until a, year, a few years later that we, I was in a little dumb band and we, uh, someone decided, I wasn't actually even me that suggested, uh, decided to cover this song. And I had to learn how to play because I was playing the part of the guitar player. And I started actually appreciating how much intricacy was going on with what the edge had done and uh i didn't we didn't have it in that clip there but there's like the sort of uh octaving pedal at the beginning of the song whatever that they've done uh changed over the years to different sort of styles of of ways they've introduced the song and stuff like that but um and it wasn't until i sort of had to almost deconstruct the song that i really started to appreciate it as a really cool kind of rock song for whatever reason so um but yeah anybody else with some even better than I couldn't things. believe that they were singing about sex. The, that song, you know, about sliding what? down the surface of things, all that stuff. In my opinion, that song is one sexy MFR. And, and to come out of <laughs> Zoo Station into that, I'm like, holy moly, we've got a groove, we've got everything, and then you're listening to the lyrics, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm listening to this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> because here's a band you know, out there singing Sunday Bloody Sunday and Pride and, and, and all this you know, political stuff. I'm like, they're talking about doing the dirty. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like is this the U2 I know and then I was like well it's different <laughs> that's what that's what I enjoy and, and sort of that appreciation of of sort of way the way different U2 fans would have heard this at the time and obviously in hindsight we all sort of know the history and stuff but having that perspective on when this album came out and, and how different it College actually was freshman mind too yeah mind you, but still you know <laughs> yeah the like, contrast hey. of like the, the the hymns on rattle and hum and then you go right into yeah oral sex on <laughs> octane baby it's a little much and and then, and then the video has got the whole virtual reality sex scene in it. And uh, anyway, it it was because uh, <laughs> she's, uh, she's paused it. <laughs> Are we gonna we're gonna have to like take but a break and gonna... zoom after Sherry has a cigarette or something? <laughs> yeah, Chris, well, you know, if we're gonna be talking that. about one, is it getting better or does it feel the same? No, get <laughs> but, oh <my> but, <laughs> but for the video, you know, um um who was it godly um had to construct a um um, a video rig in order to get that tumbling um, circular motion going. Yeah, it's a really cool effect in the video for sure. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's uh, give Sherry a break here. We'll go to something a little more mellow. <laughs> the song about divorce, right? This for see this. I know I'm not at all qualified to say what I'm about to say, but oh. I like I'm not qualified to say anything about any of these <laughs> songs. But this, it, to me, is like it's not anywhere near. Well, I shouldn't say it's not anywhere near. It's not my favorite U2 song. I'm not even sure it's my. It's not even my favorite U2 song on this album, right? I think that belongs to Ultraviolet. But this, but one for me is is probably the 
mo- the most perfect song they've ever written. Just like in terms of the craft of songwriting, right? Like the lyrics and the bass and the guitar and the drums. And never mind what it meant, like what we already talked about with, you know, how they had to find, you know, the this song got them through the making of the, the record and all this sort of stuff. I just mean, like, from a songwriting perspective, I I, I would think that if... If you got you know ten great songwriters in a room, they would say that is one of the most perfectly written songs of all time. I just I I love everything about that song. So there you go. Yeah, I'd agree. If if you preface it or clarify it with uh, in a ballad sort of ish area, I guess in terms of the U2s, it's definitely their their top sort of ballad love song almost or whatever. Even though it's <laughs> like Sherry said, it's not pretty like, depressing. Love yeah. Song. <laughs> That's what I always hear when you hear people singing it at the weddings and stuff. And you're like, well, like, well, I guess yeah. <laughs> you can sort of do that. Would, would you equate that to be like princess purple rain? In what, what respect or what do you, if, in, ter- in terms of, you know, that one sad day, and and the news broadcasters are all saying, well, you know, blah, blah, blah of you too, blah, blah, blah. Oh, don't and even go there. But no, yes, but I think, I'm just I do saying. think that's what they'll play when Bono dies. If that's what you're asking, yes, that's what we're yeah, going to hear. Yeah, and then the, everybody's like, going to have a tribute concert and everybody's going to want to yep. sing it. Right, or the, the definitive sort of U2 song that everybody thinks of or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that's the point I would make about this song. This is mm-hmm. the one U2 song that I think is better on the album than it is live. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. So send, your, I, I, send your hate mail my way any moment. No, I know I th- it's going to come. I think that's true for some versions of it, like I, like the version that they played on the last tour when they changed it around. I don't, I don't think it was – they played on the last tour where Bono didn't sing it and we did? You mean well, that it, one? Yeah. Sure, that one. Or yeah. you know, there was a different guitar line on it and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But the, the version that's on the Sydney DVD I think is uh, just beyond beyond compare. And that's yeah. the live version. It's I just oh. Yeah, I still like the studio. I love the album version. Okay. I prefer it with a full string section, like with the um, Pavarotti and Friends. That's that. That's good too. I like that yeah. as well. <laughs> That'll be another whole podcast where we just debate live versions of each song one by one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> For the next dry spell, spell of the right? band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next time after the next album release. I was hoping I didn't. I could remember which segment of the song I clipped out. <laughs> you hope you the, didn't get the, the, the oral sex time. But it was funny. In the, speaking of Bill Flanagan's book, that you know, in there he makes reference to the fact that he kind of was the one who pointed out to Bono, which I kind of you know is I'm sure Bono was being a little cheeky, but you know, Bono hadn't even recognized how much of that was in the lyric as a whole, and maybe you know he was sort of focused in on um, one song at a time or whatever. And whereas Bill was maybe hearing the bigger picture and seeing some of the bigger picture of the lyric that was happening at, at the time. And, um, but anyways, the, the song itself is, I think, and this would be one of those ones where live versus studio. I think i I really love the live version of it, but, um, and the way it's again, also transformed over the years and the way they've used it to different effects. Um, it stayed, you know, fairly similar in terms of structure and stuff. Um, but, having a little play on stage with McFisto and stuff and Zoo TV era um, and stuff. And then um, the way it's changed into the, in recent concerts. But um, f- 
from again the guitar standpoint it's a, just a fun song to play it's really the edge has a great solo in it that's got um that's a little different than what he often does for actually he actually solos <laughs> and uh and takes like a, a little longer solo on this song and um and it's just a fun riff to sort of, sort of jam along to it's one of the few there's uh it, whenever bands get together and you're sort of jamming and you want to pull out a song U2 doesn't actually have a lot of songs that are fun to like just sort of as a band jam along to uh, but this one if people know it it's a little bit slightly of a deeper cut i guess but it's a fun one to play along to it's got a good bass line and, and some interesting guitar parts to play along to and the drums are really fun with it so um that's my guitar nerd perspective on it but uh what do you guys think of until the end of the world it's my favorite song on the album i will say that i love it um and and as far as like live goes what you were saying i i agree it's it's just fantastic live it's one of those few songs where no matter where it is in the set and no matter how exhausted i am from however long i've been standing in line or whatever i've been doing waiting to to watch their show this is the one that will get me jumping and dancing no matter what I'm still always surprised how, and even on the um, Innocence and Experience tour video or whatever, and who knows, I mean, maybe they are amping up the audience, whatever, but like when that first sort of weird whatever effect goes out to introduce the song, how many people know it? It feels like it's like a, it's obviously really popular, more popular than I think it is, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody that's, is up. Yeah, that's what I was, that's what, what I think of with this song is that it's sort of become like, borderline a must include in the set list now like it's when we did the survey the fan survey earlier this year or late last year whenever it was it was earlier this year um and we asked you know we i think we we put like 20 songs or 25 songs and said which one of these is the best live song it was streets and bad and then this and yeah. i just i think i think it's become just a, you know this absolute monster song in concert and and just I don't know, like almost sort of out of nowhere, even because I, you know, I when you listen to it on the Sydney DVD or or you know the the elevation or whatever, it's you know it's great, but you don't think of it at least I don't in the same league as Streets and Bad. Yeah. But yet, yet it I think it now has become that. Now, was the song written for the the vendors movie until the end of the world, or or did they gift it to him and the and and the song was already done? I th- I'm not positive, but I think it was written at his request. It was like commissioned, like a, like Some, a piece of something, artwork. Something like that, yes. I think because that's in the book. I'm going to have to read that book for the hundredth time. <laughs> yeah, really. I love yeah. that book. Because it's just, it's just interesting because if you think about Ordinary Love being commissioned for the Mandela movie, yeah. that's a song that doesn't really fit in any kind of an album. But Until the End of the World – has a home within Octung Baby, which is interesting because you wouldn't think that a piece that was commissioned for an outside project would also fit the mood and and be one of the finalists to actually make it onto the album. So I think that that's also got a special quality in that it can it can transcend within the album and then also outside of the album and and speak in in those many ways mysterious ways well we'll get to that one in a few songs don't encourage her chris (laughs) 
that is a song that saved me with my professor's music appreciation test <laughs> going back to that first day because in the world of misheard lyrics I always thought that he's saying who's gonna listen to Claude Debussy and so <laughs> what <laughs> what on earth then, <laughs> I'm telling you and so every time that I hear it I always have to say Claude Debussy <laughs> instead of who's gonna drown in your blue sea I I, wow. I do that. <laughs> the things you learn about people. <laughs> really? I saved it for the podcast, folks. <laughs> oh, wow. This is one um, that's they, they had the, the B side. We alluded to the B sides and, and stuff, and they had a great uh, the Temple Bar remix, right? And um, of it. And was there another a third version that was included somewhere? Um, someone at YouTube War Forty mentioned it's hard for me to decide which version of horses who's going to ride your wild horses is best. Album Temple Bar and Kindergarten is what they said. I don't remember. <laughs> well, Kindergarten is the one that 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 or the baby is on. The, yeah, the baby. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Baby. Yeah, right. baby. <laughs> that's, which is that's cute. Five, which we'll talk in. In during the fifth album, right? Uh, fifth hour of fifth hour. Yeah, the, uh, we're not going to get through the first album in one hour, so we <laughs> might have to reset the, t- the clock. So yeah, this is the one that. Um, well, aside from the fact that I love the lyrics of this song, I think it's it's very it teases a lot, which I like. Um, this is the the video that kind of for a day or two made me a Bono girl instead of a Larry girl. <laughs> Because he's wow. so insanely sexy in this video, and he's angry, and he and he mouths the f word at the end, which yes. again, my you know sixteen year old self or whatever was like, oh hell yeah, I'm in. <laughs> so and the black and white and Larry like without, I mean, oh my gosh, the end where Larry's just had it and he the sticks go up like, I could go on. It's such a great video. <laughs> Desul is going to need a cigarette. Oh, I'm going to need a cigarette. Yeah, I don't smoke. But gosh, do you, do you think that it was a strong enough song though to be the fifth single off the album? Do you think that there should have been a different song chosen as the last single off of Octung Baby? Uh, because huh. to me, it felt like it was a throwaway. Yeah, I I would agree with that actually. So we had we had even better one. Mysterious ways, fly. fly, and that right, right. Yeah, I would have, I would have probably swapped out. Um, gosh, what would I? Ultraviolet, yeah. Yeah, it's tough to say because you know the just in th- general enthusiasm for the album by that point would have been you know less than obviously the, the first couple singles when they were released and all that kind of stuff. It's not. Yeah, because this single came out what September of ninety two. September, yeah. October. It, yeah, it was. It was quite. Yeah, it was quite a ways. Yeah. Yeah. This there was a there was a time in between when Octung Baby came out and the Zoo TV tour started. There was a time when I thought Wild Horses was going to be the opening song of the concert because it had uh, Edge's guitar. It had some funky, strange sounds at the beginning, and then the drums kick in and the bay. And so I just and then it had and then it's you know it's got this chorus that could be a great audience sing along, and I you know that's what a typical you know, to me, what a typical U2 concert opener is. Um, but obviously that didn't turn out to be the but case. But it doesn't, I, like, go off. Like, No, you're right. It, but I, but, like I, but they, could have, they, they could have made it go off, right? I mean, they can make they, anything. 
go off, I guess. Exactly. Right. So, so, so yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, you know, obviously looking back now, you know, hindsight 2020, Zoo Station was perfect and fantastic as a concert opener. But I, I remember thinking for a while that this was going to be the concert opener. Yeah, it's too bad they didn't. Fabiano, the chat room mentioned, you know, it's too, they, he'd love to hear they, them to play it more often in the concerts because it's such a beautiful song. It's too bad they don't resurrect the sort of, even the acoustic version, which is kind of like the, the Temple Bar edit, if I remember correctly. I forgot to go back and listen. Um, but um, with just sort of an acoustic guitar uh, playing out the intro lines and stuff of the song. And um, it definitely could make, if there if you two ever did, I know there was a, a bootleg version of like uh, called Zoo TV or Zoo Acoustic or something, I forget what it was called, that had just like all the acoustic versions of the songs and covers, whatever, from the Zoo TV era concerts. And if you two would ever do that, which I doubt they ever will, but... <laughs> Did a sort of the acoustic set of never their own. They never. There's yeah. an unplugged is being revived on MTV as we That's speak. True, and YouTube and is Lord in much knows, more. There yeah. may be an album that they might want to be promoting sometime in the near yeah, that would, that's millennium. You know. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, it's it's definitely one of those fun ones to sort of pull out for in that respect as well. So, uh, who knows? Maybe Fabiano, you get your wish yet. <laughs> The ultimate song of betrayal. So brilliant. So cruel. So brilliant. Um, I think this is one of their strongest lyrical songs ever, actually. I think that it was more thoughtfully written than 90% of their catalog. Anyone with me on that? I I agree 100% because I was listening to Octung Baby a week or three ago, and this came on, and I was just like, God, these lyrics are incredible. They're genius. I disappeared in you. You disappeared from me. I gave you everything you ever wanted, but it wasn't what you yeah. wanted. I mean, it's just like it. It's the like I love you so much, but you're you're ditching me. So now you're going down. Yeah, and I mean, we. <laughs> I mean, I think most of the songs have great lyrics. You know, st- different levels of greatness, and we could probably do an entire podcast just about the lyrics. We've hardly even talked about the lyrics, but yeah, this song to me, this yeah, I agree with you hundred percent about the lyrics of this song. There's I think a- that's what makes it because it's not that exciting of a melody, so to speak. You know. Yeah. Well, the song was only performed four times. Um, um, three full one one is a snippet. Um, um. And when I was a working local crew in Foxborough for their um, three shows uh, back in August of 92, they were sound checking this one for the second show, um, which is ironic because it was the day after Bono and Allie's um, wedding anniversary. So we weren't expecting to have, have that song Did be you- part of this, um, uh, the um, set list. Wait, they they sound checked this song and you didn't like tweet it or periscope it? It was 1992. There was no internet. <laughs> there was no, didn't exist. I had my little Max Cell cassette tape. And had to oh, those were the cheapy ones. The sound and check. Pink and, I, and it's mine. <laughs> there were there were only about 30 people inside of the uh, uh, stadium, and I will take responsibility for that. So if you have a bootleg sure. from that sound check, it came from my little Maxell uh, um, Sony Walkman record button thing. And if you're hearing tapping uh, 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 like a metal clanging sound, that's because the the dude 
two rows in um, um, in front of me had a wedding ring and was tapping along to the rhythm. Oh, I see. I heard that, and I thought that was Guy O'Siri's footprints coming after you. In 92, he was Sharing about my and age and, and just following around Madonna, hoping to get uh, uh, hired in some way, shape, and form. So. Wow. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think we could just stop now, I think. That's <laughs> what I should have been arrested for while I was working local through was putting up I love Dalton Brothers bumper stickers all over the backstage area during mealtime. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that I've is had so stories, you. my friend. That is so you. <laughs> but I'm saving them for the podcast. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the fly. Best song ever. People ask me, what is your favorite U2 song? And it varies and all that. But hands down, The Fly is my number one favorite. And nobody will ever change that point of view. It's got everything. And Chris, you you had mentioned earlier about um, Dave Fanning. And he said you could throw even more into it and it would be just as good, if not better, and and even if you put in there the kitchen sink and all that other stuff, anytime it's done live, it's phenomenal, and it encapsulates in those four minutes and change the heart of what U two is all about. Yeah, I miss um, what, what did they call it—the fat lady voice or whatever. That oh yeah. yeah, that's what I miss on some of the newer stuff. That yeah. uh, he doesn't get that range or that the going from the low gravelly voice to the high high voice and and everything sort of in between there. But yeah, it, it was it, you're right. It was the fly that I think Fanny was talking about, not Zoo Station, but um, very similar. Actually, sort of song sonically, um, those two and sort of they naturally go together um, in terms of this album's overall kind of feel and vibe of of how the album sort of feels, I guess. And um, well, what's even interesting is that that is the opening song on side two. So if you have the vinyl or the cassette, you flip it over and that, that's the song that greets you on the second side. And with that song being the first video that came out, what was it about two months prior to the album's release, you saw the new imagery, you, you saw this this change and it was the calling card to say you know um uh, we're here <laughs> and uh we're different um so so it was at that point where some of the fans who liked their 80s work started to jump off the bandwagon as as um um as um others were hopping on because it wasn't sounding like it was coming out of Seattle it wasn't sounding like it it was backstreet boys it was something completely different you didn't hear that s- sound on the radio you never heard that sound before and it was refreshing I think it's one of I think it's one of their most underrated songs as well. You know, Sherry says it's her favorite of all time. We had a staffer that uh, was with us during the 2000 2010 range named uh, Kier Dubois, who might be listening to this. Hello, Kier. Um, and it's his favorite song as well. And he wrote some great stuff about the about the song on our site. Um, but I think if you pulled most fans, like 
they wouldn't put the fly as one of like the all time great U two songs, but I agree with Sherry that it is. I think it's I think it's phenomenal. And I think the lyrics are great and the music and I think live, like especially the version from the Elevation Tour, oh my gosh, I could listen to that forever. Um yeah, I think it's I, I it's not my favorite all time U two song, but I agree with Sherry that it's really great and I think it's highly underrated. Yeah, it's another one of those live ones that they've reworked over the years too that cha- they're they feel free to yeah. change and, and mess with and and i always love that because i and i'm sure musically too for them it just keeps it interesting although they have to try and remember which which era they're in when they're playing a, a particular song but um and and uh and yeah just the interplay of voices everything uh i, I love it i i'm finding as we talk about these i just want to go back and just stop the podcast and go listen to the song yeah, me too. <laughs> not, not continue but the show must go on in into so we don't hit hour 10 of the the show before we <laughs> We're just approaching the hour mark now, aren't we? Somewhere. So, so we're like not that. doing too bad. We'll edit out some of this. Don't we? haven't even gotten to mysterious ways yet. <laughs> oh, wait. Now we are. Oh, I love this song so much. Um, a quick story from my youth. Uh, so again, I was in high school when this came out. Uh, at the same time, in this era, the beginning of hip-hop was happening. And I went to a very diverse school that was embracing all of the rap artists. And for our school dances, they primarily played rap and hip-hop. And that's great, but I needed my U2. So I remember distinctly lobbying the DJ at one of our school dances to play to play U2. And he's like, I love U2, but there's nothing that you can dance to by U2. And I was like, oh, I beg to differ. You've got to play Mysterious Ways, you know. So I actually won the argument because I wasn't going to leave until he listened to me. And they played Mysterious Ways and people at my school actually danced to it. So there's my victory from night. Well, famously, isn't this like, this is one of the songs that has a ton of remixes and they kind of yeah. like went after that club culture, or whatever, um, with this album and with allowing people, different folks to remix it. And, and yeah. who knows, like, I mean, it's hard to know without all the album sales numbers and stats and analytics and stuff. It'd be fun to pour over that, I guess. Hey, Matt. But, Solar uh, Plexus Magic yeah. Hour yeah. Tabula Remix Dude, you know, kind exactly. of Exactly. And like what effect that <laughs> kind of had on the album's, you know, success, obviously getting out there beyond the reaches of a typical YouTube fan or whatever that might have actually heard this melody line or whatever over top of the whatever the remix happened to have in it so um but yeah i definitely i can it it's like a again a fun song a super fun song live obviously in concert it's it's amazing and the crowd and audience gets going obviously for it it's fun to dance to um and and even just like lyrically it paints this interesting picture um over top of this sort of poppy fun fun music that uh, you're kind of like wondering what what exactly is going on and where it's happening and what's happening and who's happening <laughs> who it's happening to um and whether it's talking about this world or the spiritual world or whatever and all that kind of stuff is kind of all mixed up and interplaying together um which again makes this whole album so great but again this song in particular is is pretty cool so i was gonna say if they do another anniversary edition of of anything and and have fun little treats that go with them i would recommend that they put some of the little belly dancer clicker things 
in the next packaging <laughs> because some of us, you know, like to pay tribute to Morley's character from Zoo TV. Well, and that was that was the question that I was going to ask. If you think that this song actually suffered because the primary visual for it is the belly dancer, do you think? Suffered? No, I think it helped it. I mean, gentlemen, what do you think? Because <laughs> you guys are so quiet. Oh. Matt, who's been married for 25 years, what do you think about another woman dancing to this song? Belly dancers, yeah. No, I, I, don't, I don't know that it's that it suffered or anything in, in any way by that. I, um, I mean, I think it, it, you know, it tells the story for me. It's, you know, this song for me is always about the, you know, like you two has I, I know we're talking about album and I keep talking about live versions of songs but so I apologize for that so edit this up, e- e- I was just gonna say edit this part <laughs> out if you want to Chris <laughs> but you know you two you know every tour they do they have various you know what I'll call like set pieces where you know like if you think about until the end of the world there's the you know the acting the play the play acting between Bono and Edge you know Jesus and Judas and all that sort of stuff. So they have these set pieces. And I think the set piece for this song, for Mysterious Ways, during the Zoo TV tour, when Morley dances up towards Bono, then dances away, and Bono reaches out and just grabs the little um, you know, little scarf or whatever it is, I, that, that to me, that's like one of the most beautiful set pieces they've ever done because there's, there's just so much meaning in it to me. So. But it's like Streets and the Red Screen. Then they go and change Streets to the African Flags... And 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 then you know you hey, have save, this save that decision. for the Vertigo podcast. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. <laughs> but you 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 have this vision of this song, which then when they change it, it's like no, no, no. That's not the streets that I've come to know and love. With mysterious ways, if it doesn't have the belly dancer, do you have that same visceral reaction of hey, wait a minute, those are the African flags. What happened in my red screen? No, it's, 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 not, it's not like that stage, for me. Everybody that comes on stage with Bono tries to be a belly dancer. Yeah, he, that's true. He certainly puts his arms up like a little, you know. It's almost the belly. only way you can dance to the song. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, like, think about the actual video. They're in, what, Morocco or something? And mm-hmm. he's in that beautiful red shirt and there, there's a woman dancing. I mean, it's all it all goes together as far as I, I don't think it – I don't think it hurts it, but – Chris, I'll, I, I may, maybe I should have not put my name next to this one. I should defer. How do you get that falsetto? To you. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's the I, I unintentionally did that and just grabbed the the fat lady voice or whatever again. <laughs> The thing that I love something for that. <laughs> the thing that I love about this song is the way Edge's guitar is like singing back to Bono, and I don't know if that's the right way to describe it, but it does not sound like a normal Edge guitar line. Edge guitar, there's no riff like you know until the end of the world or the fly or whatever. It's just this. I I just love the way that there's sort of an interplay between Bono singing and Edge's guitar like singing back to him. I I don't know. If there's a term for that amongst guitarists or what, but I love that. I just love the sort of the the fragileness of the song and the uh, it's so different from you know 
like Zoo Station and Until the End of the World and The Fly and the other songs. I just I love that about it. Yeah, it's almost there's a bit of like sort of call and response maybe of the yeah, yeah something like two, that. But I, I, yeah, I just I love the way his his guitar because he doesn't do that on a lot of songs. There's not a lot of songs where edges to, you know at least in my opinion where edges like his guitar like becomes a voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but actually it's funny you say that because it's uh, there is a little thing he does, especially on the live version. You don't hear it as much in the studio version, but there is a little sort of line that's a very edgy kind of uh, line. I'm not. We need to. Chris Christopher on to give us the musical theory behind what's actually going on. Cause I'm not, I just know how to play the notes. I don't actually know what, what the notes are, but the, <laughs> I should have hooked my guitar up for this episode probably. But um, yeah, it's, it is a, it's a, it's actually one of those things I go back to when I'm just noodling around the guitar. It kind of just is, comes out all the time of the, this little lick that he does in the, in this song. And uh, it's funny that like speaking of mysterious ways in the belly dancer, this is, I always remember cause um, watching the zoo TV video and we keep whatever, I'll get this out, but the, um, the part where he brings a girl up on stage or whatever. I remember watching it with my friends and, and uh, my, I'm trying to remember now would have been, girlfriend at the time fiance etc at the time now my wife who she was always like Good. annoyed with uh those like what's he doing bringing some girl up on stage and i'm like no no his wife is okay with it it's fine and like right right, right. just being introduced to that whole idea Theater. yeah of, of bono and random ladies from the audience that throw themselves at him in a in a in a comfortable safe way <laughs> but <laughs> But it is it is kind of a funny song on the album in terms of context. It doesn't it fits more, I don't know, outside like on a all that you can't leave behind or something. And sort of sonically, it doesn't sort of have any of that kind of dirtiness to it. Almost, it's it's very clean. And I love the breakdown at the end where it just kind of goes off in the in the audience in, or in the live version, especially. Um, and it is it's kind of funny that it hasn't really made too many appearances beyond that that era, I guess. But yeah. I like and and you uh, two GW in the chat room said before acting baby, you'd never have seen them say hey let's write a song about what happens when you're still wasted and you wake up the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Very exactly. true. All right. Uh, sweetness about that song, and I think that yeah. that's in that um, dialogue between Edge and Bono. Yeah. Um. About yeah yeah walking home with a hangover. Yeah, sonically, it's almost like the sweetest thing kind of thing too, where it's that sort of. Uh, Tone or um, yeah, in a yeah, little while, a, yeah. There's there, yeah. There's there's a there's an innocence to the to trying to throw your arms around the world that I, that really appeals to me. No, no, no. Let it keep playing. <laughs> yes, please let we'll, it keep playing. We will violate the 30-second rule. <laughs> we'll get sued for that one. We'll yeah. get kicked off the, the internet. Thing. <laughs> um, this is, yeah, I, I think I said this earlier. This is my favorite song in this album. It's, I, the everything about it is wonderful. Everything Sherry said about The Fly is what I say about this. It's lyrics and music and and just everything together it's i love 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 and the way that they played it on the 360 tour live was just just so off the charts incredible yeah so yeah just amazing i love what bono said in youtube by youtube jealousy infidelity love rears its ugly head again it's disguised as a very dark uh, uh, content. Your love is like a secret that's been passed around. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The lyrics in this song are as good as 
what we've talked about and so cruel and and the lyrics on this whole album are pretty phenomenal <laughs> <laughs> fabian in the chat room says i love ultraviolet it's the name of the fan club that he's a part of in brazil and it's our anthem live on 360 tour was amazing so and for him it's the best song in the album which um i i i'd forgotten before we started recording i was going to actually go through as we went through and just say each song was my favorite song on the album because it's <laughs> it really is hard to pick a favorite but i agree matt with when i heard the live 360 version and and then got to see it or whatever too um it just kind of like brought back everything about that era to me even though it was wrapped in a different sort of clothing i guess uh in the 360 tour just the sort of the darkness mixed with the light and the high there was yeah there was i was uh, this was a few years ago i was at the local gym and i had uh, as part of my workout i was about to spend 45 to 50 minutes on the treadmill and so i decided to watch the video of ultraviolet from the pasadena 360 show i watched Mm -hmm. it 11 straight times to get me through the rest of this. <laughs> repeat, repeat, repeat. Never, never, ever get tired of this song. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, yeah. Anybody else with ultraviolet comments before we move on? I wrote a like a song about it. It's a breakup song for me, but I love it. So you can link to it if you want. You're able to get past that. <laughs> yeah. I was able to. I was able the song to is bigger than the any song dude. bigger than the relationship yeah. was. <laughs> All right. All right, moving on to the uh, final song on the album. This is like, uh, I mean, continuing, and you could just kind of repeat a lot of what we had said already with as far as lyrics and just there is no light really in this one. <laughs> it's just a lot of darkness. And, but, um, the both everything compared together, I guess Adam's baseline is just kind of like this booming, deep, uh, almost throbbing kind of bass that's going through the song. And then, um, yeah, the lyric and, and the melody that Bono was singing over top of it. I was always attracted to the, to this song and just, um, it's not obviously going to be any sort of like big, huge, anthem in concerts and stuff but then um on the sky falls down video of seeing actually the edge um play a solo version of it just really play brought home uh i guess just the beauty of of the lyric and the melody together without even any of that other packaging that kind of went into this song um so but yeah anybody else as far as love is blindness any it's it's so melancholy and and so i mean it's it's hypnotic yeah, yeah, that's a good word for it. That really is. Yeah, I, I had to go along with that. And and I yeah, I love the lyrics and and yeah, just yeah, I, it's uh, and I actually I think it's a you know a really I think it's a great way to end this album because it was you know such a the, I mean the album itself like we talked about being such a sort of you know different direction for them and heavy in sort of a different way and I think this song is very heavy in sort of a different way than, than, you know, U2's heavy songs had been before that. So, But it was also a very heavy way to end the Zoo TV concert. Yeah. <laughs> um, you walk out of there going, my God, what just happened? Yeah. Like a church song. I always picture a church for some reason when I hear it. Yeah, I mean, the know. organs are... Yeah, like yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's, it's got very, that sound. It's very calming and reminds me of like... Catholic churches I went to as a kid and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. 
a little death without mourning, no call and no warning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. beautiful. The, the lyrics are a little heavier than than what you hear in church songs. <laughs> but the melody, <laughs> at least, at least the in most of them, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and and it almost is. I, I just because you brought that up, Matt, uh, referencing that that video that uh, Bono did with uh, Eugene Peterson, and just kind of like s- putting it out there to the folks in the church music scene to like put some honesty in the music. And this album to me is is always what I kind of gravitate back to when I think of Bono at his ultimate honesty, <laughs> and the band too, like of everything they're going through and and all that kind of coming through in their lyric in the music, um, in a way that. I don't know. I would argue that hasn't ever hasn't happened since. Not that there isn't moments of it, but as a complete package, anyways, it feels like it's they haven't ever sort of gotten to that. Not that the music isn't great and everything like that. I'm making my Canadian apologies here, as I. (laughs) (laughs) But but it doesn't feel like they've ever sort of gotten back to that same depth in both the dark, uh, maybe especially the dark side, I guess, as it were. Well, yeah, no, that's true. But I think, and we didn't, we didn't, we kind of skipped over this before we went to the song by song thing. I mean, that, that's, I, I mean, I think the, the, the honesty in the lyrics is a result of where they were at as a band. And, you know, as we know what Edge was going through uh, in his marriage, it was, you know, the first, uh, you know, the first of the four of them to have any sort of relationship issue that, you know, led to the end of their marriage. And that's, you know, that's huge stuff. Um and and you know obviously influenced you know all sorts of different lyrics throughout the album. So I think um, yeah I think you know when you're going through that kind of stuff individually and as a band and I think that just sort of I don't know may have just led to a lot of uh, you know let's uh, let's pull some stuff out of places that we've not uh, that we've not pulled stuff out of before. But the other side of that because of what was going on in Edge's relationship, the other. S- angle of of this particular lyric sometimes gets lost which which Bono also mentions in YouTube by YouTube that that it also works as an image of terrorism that he was mixing up the personal and the political um um you know there's the dangerous idea that almost makes sense the song has images of terrorism bomb building clockworks and codes cold steel a parked car it's like you know the octung baby version of raised by wolves I was just going to say, Innocence is probably the one that comes the closest to being as raw, lyrically, yeah. mm-hmm. so far. I mean, you know, we haven't seen experience yet. Yeah, and that's definitely, I think, part of the, I think the, these two, this album and then Innocence Experience is what, or um, Songs of Innocence is what it sort of draws me to both those albums as a, a, a almost A-side, B-side, as it were, but or just stages of life kind of thing. But um, yeah. Very cool. All right, we could, uh, like we said, we could continue going on and on and on about um, Actung Baby for many hours if we really wanted to. Matt and I at one point thought maybe no one else is going to show up, and the two of us, I think, probably could go for many hours. So <laughs> probably glad we had Sherry and Tazula on remixes and B sides yeah. <laughs> and live versions and the outtakes and the baby version. Yeah, we could do we could do like a five parter just on this album. <laughs> so. Uh, Next up is uh, Zuropa, which is kind of like a natural continuation of this this sort of series and or this uh, album, obviously, and and what was going on in the concert and all that kind of stuff. And we'll I forget who all is going to be on that discussion, but uh, that'll be the next episode you hear. Um, you can find the podcast at goodstuff.fm slash atu2 or on Twitter. You can follow the uh, u2 account at u2 on Twitter and facebook.com slash atu2com and. Uh, <laughs> I think we should uh, 
We should let the chat room. The chat room has been sort of yelling at us, wondering what's going on. We should. Chris, let, did we forget something? We, oh my goodness! We can't we possibly have overlooked anything. There's a song that uh, famously and infamously, and uh, other reasons, routinely gets missed on the YouTube live set, and so we thought, what better way to pay tribute to that song than to forget to include it in our own podcast discussion but we will actually if you hang on we could actually start up a twitter campaign to see if we could (laughs) add it to a future podcast yeah (laughs) when will the podcast ever talk about there should be a there should be a twitter how come there is not a twitter account when did or when will you two play acrobat or like it's been x amount of shows since you know something like that i obviously never played so there's not a since, but you oh, know like, what I like mean. Cubs winning the World Series, it's been sixteen thousand days. Since yeah. the- <laughs> you just need has you two played acrobat.com and then it's just a yes, big no. they have Hershey, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, sure, yes. So we had uh, at Gret- Gretzky, I'm just going to say 17, ask, I Greg-ski. said, <laughs> Gregsky, why do you think Acrobat has never been performed live before? U2 War 40 said, does this album have the most overrated and underrated so- U2 song in Acrobat? Mm. At Abulus said, Acrobat's popularity is not just the never played aspect, it's the passion. Don't let the bastards grind you down like we just heard. And technically Acrobat was played in Hershey during outside broadcast rehearsals. It's on the Hershey tapes bootleg, as we Ooh. heard from Sherry. <laughs> And apparently it's all over YouTube before it gets taken down for copyright or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> now it's now it's outside podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> so I I guess like I'm in the camp. Like we can maybe we should just declare our uh, allegiances here. <laughs> in the that's a good idea. Can I use third party that? on this one? <laughs> yeah, there's no third party vote here. There's no. I'm in the I'm in the camp that says I wish they would play it live and try it sometime. And I'm but I'm not in the like it has to be played or I'm going to die camp, I guess. But how about you, Matt? Where are you where do you stand? Uh I am in the camp. I agree with what U2 War 40 said. I think it is the most overrated and potentially underrated song. I I I would like <laughs> this is gonna sound you're all gonna think I'm a jerk when I say this, but I think actually Tasula has said this with me before in stereo. I would like them to play it just so that I don't have to hear everyone keep saying that it needs to be played live. Exactly. I want them to get it over with. I want them to have a miserable, boring experience because the casual fans will be crunching their nachos. And then we won't have to hear about it anymore because nobody will want to hear it again. To me, to me. So, I mean, if we want to talk about the album version, I think it's a good song. I think the lyrics are good. You know, the don't let the bastards grind you down, all that sort of stuff. But to me, and I... The, the the thought of them playing it live, it reminds me of Electrical Storm. I think it's a song that everybody loves and wants to hear live. But mm. once they do, after about four or five versions, you're probably going to come to the same conclusion that the band came to, that it just doesn't work. I think I Electrical Storm has more potential to work because of the Bono howl in it. But we could get into I that. Just, I, just, I, I just think – I don't think it's a song that would, that would translate live. I don't know what makes me think that. I just – the, the tempo of the song, it's, I don't know if it's boring, but I just don't it's think it's boring. got the right tempo for, you know, to be this huge live, you know, 
I think that there's a time and a place for it. Getting back to um, to Sula's idea of of you know MTV Live bringing back Unplugged, this mm. is something where if they were to do a a televised recorded performance, where you're you know you don't have to build a set list in order to build up momentum over a two hour show. This this would be something where if you're you know, going to do eight or ten songs, and you want to throw in one for the diehards just to you know um, um, shake it up a little bit and have it be special for that for that one performance for MTV Live where everybody's going to go to that channel or for like Farm Club like it was back in two thousand or whatever it's it whatever the forum is this would be the one time and I think that it would work better acoustically although. <laughs> You know the um, 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 edge electric guitar riff at the end, where it's just his—it just sounds like that—that that anger is coming through. Um, but that would be the only area where I could foresee Acrobat ever working in a live setting, because it's so hard to come into this song, and it sure as hell is hard to come out of it. I don't know. I don't know why you guys sit down on the music. I think I think they would kill it live, actually, because. To me, it's like in the same way that Love is Blindness could be, you know, is a really dark song, but they pull it off live. Just like what Sherry was saying, the edge is just like manic on the guitar and um, and and having the like the lines, the, you know, that you can dream it, you can dream. So dream it loud. You know that your time is coming around, et cetera. You can just hear or see Bono like screaming that into an audience or whatever. Um, I don't know. I I'm I'm not in the like the I'll, I'll yeah, it'll be depth to me if they never play it live but uh and i don't certainly pine for it every single and then come away disappointed every time i see a, a periscope stream that they didn't play it or something but i do i definitely could picture uh an amazing i don't know if somebody must have it out for the song i guess that i just well, you know what chris, where would you put it in the set i'm curious chris where would you put it in the set would you have it be the last song it could be or like nor or just in more of like the what like the heart of darkness kind of moments of a on a on a concert but it it depends obviously in the theme thematically like it certainly could have fit live within a zoo tv set in the same way that love is blindness could you know fit at the end and obviously you wouldn't have both of them necessarily but um but yeah i don't know i i feel like the any song and again it's probably just my bias towards loving the album which I know we all do, obviously, but that I feel like any of these songs could be brought live in a a meaningful way, not just like as a throwaway um, throwaway way. So yeah, I don't know. I'd be I've often been trying, like speaking of dumb bands I've been in over the years, and and tried to like I've never actually brought this one forward, but it would be a fun one to try. <laughs> you force people to play it. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a fun one to try, that's for sure. But anyways, maybe the uh, YouTube cover band will cover it someday. <laughs> I, I wonder I wonder if so much so much like talk or or baggage or whatever like I wonder if so much has been made about this song and hearing it live now that could they possibly play it well enough to satisfy yeah. everyone's expectations for that's it? That's a good or, point. What about or, Drowning Man. Or even in, well, well that's, nobody, the same, no, that's kind of the same thing. But yeah, I mean it's it's never been played. Although but I'd, there's, I'd rather hear Drowning Man. But nobody is tweeting you know every show they didn't play acrobat you know blah blah, blah uh, um, about drowning man so i just yeah. i you know so could they play a version that's good enough that would make everybody that wants to hear it happy or w- even if they played a you know a rough and tumble kind of throwaway version of it would 
be, everybody be like, yay, at least they played it. You know, that kind of thing. I just I, I don't take know. it back. If you two were to do cover to cover Octung Baby, that's yes, the first that's exactly the first what act. I was to say. Yeah. That is where it would work. Yeah. If they played the album start to finish like that would be Bruce Springsteen played the river, then it would work. Right. I would pay so much money to hear cover to cover live <laughs> Octung Baby. So I, would I. I don't even I'd want to imagine how much a lot I of their would. albums cover to cover. Yeah, that's a whole other. Uh, I love. I still listen to albums. I'm not one of those iPod kids that jumps around. If I'm listening to this, I'm listening to the whole album. Yeah, unless I'm unless you're using the current version of iTunes that I have, where it just jumps from <laughs> album to album. <laughs> on you me. would just whine about an update like less than four <laughs> yeah. hours ago. Yeah, so hopefully that fixed it. That and this is an album that you cannot jump around on. You have to have that full experience because Agreed. because and of the climax. My, that was my argument about why it's not the best U2 album, but it's it's up there. Anyway. All right. Well, before we descend into argument about Acrobat and its, the merits of it. <laughs> Over a bottle of um, milk Corona. <laughs> what? <laughs> Chris descends into hell over a bottle of oh. milk. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes your references are too uh, too deep very, for me. Yes, very esoteric. It's an Octing Baby B side. I know, I know, I know. I should it's be. It's Octing Baby tonight. You're, I'm not saying they're they're out of bounds or they're wrong. I'm just saying that my brain can't keep up. Sometimes, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, deep thoughts by Sherry. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, where can folks uh, uh, yell at you if they disagree or agree with your assessments of the album or just Acrobat? Uh, Tasula, we'll start with you. <laughs> I'm because that's where the arguments will be going. Um, at Tasula, T A S S O U L A. And uh, Sherry, how about you? Uh, at U2Com Sherry, as always. And Matt. Yeah, anybody that disagrees with me can tweet me at at Tasula. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> just throw them in there. I'm sure there'll be plenty. <laughs> at Matt McGee. Okay, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm iChris on Twitter. You can yell at me on there. And uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks with the the Zuropa episode, which is another one that uh, we're looking forward to. And I know lots of the at YouTube folks have been wanting to chat about. So um, without, I think we, we managed to cut it under an hour and a half by the time it's been, it'll be edited. <laughs> so Amazing. We did. We did good. I think folks. So thank you for listening. Thanks to the live folks for tuning in, of course, and sticking with us here and uh, playing along with our acrobat tease. And uh, we'll see you again next time. Have a great day. Bye. <laughs> 